Hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Ocean Decade Show. That's just crazy to say. I made a big deal of it last time when it was 19, and I will make a big deal of it this time when it's 20, because that's pretty awesome to me that we've reached, you know, this next phase of the show, which is a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gills, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the ocean decade. As I mentioned on the last episode of the podcast, I was both (laughs) forward projecting and thinking backwards, uh, because based on how we record these things, I hadn't yet experienced the UN Ocean Conference, uh, but I was trying to speak a little bit like I had. Um, But now I have officially experienced the UN Ocean Conference. Um, So I got back from Lisbon, Portugal after an amazing week Uh, during that long-delayed UN Ocean Conference, which is fantastic to uh, that I even got to go, you know, wearing my Aspen hat and then got to do some great Ocean Decade uh, work while I was there. Um, Even got to record a quote-unquote live episode of this podcast from there, um, which was less an episode and more me monologuing in my (laughs) hotel room in Lisbon while looking out at the conference. Um, I had identified a lot of people that we can have on this show in the future, and I'm really excited about that. But trying to nail down people in person when we were all just kind of salivating over seeing each other again, I think, for the first time in forever. Um, And you couldn't see me salivate, masked up the whole time, so (laughs) no worries there. But uh, it was very hard to like get someone to want to come and sit in a room with me for 40 minutes, an hour to record a show, but we're going to have some great people on uh, over the next few months. And we have a great person on today based on uh, meeting at the UN Ocean Conference. So just such a great opportunity. I'm already excited for the next one in 2025. So um the first UN Ocean Conference happened in 2017. The next one was supposed to happen in 2020. We all know how that story ended. Um, and so the next one they, they announced at the end of the conference is going to be in Marseille, France uh, in 2025. Uh, already super excited about that, especially because at the very end of this UN Ocean Conference, the uh, president of France announced uh, that he that we should ban deep sea mining in some regards. And so I need to dig more into that. I need to do a whole episode on deep sea mining. Um, in the ocean decade, that would be kind of cool, but that was a big topic of conversation at this UN Ocean Conference and will continue to be a big topic of conversation, I think, throughout the next few years and up until the next one in 2025. So, uh, we're going to be then, oh goodness, I just realized that's going to be halfway through the ocean decade, which is, oh wow, I can't believe we're already a few years into it. And so it's, it's even more amazing to think about what it's going to be like in 2025. Um, yeah, so this episode, I wanted to do a recap episode of UNOC, um, and then I thought of the laundry list of things that happened. If you listened to the last episode that I did live there, uh, like I said, I just kind of monologued and talked about all the amazing things that I saw around me, uh, but you probably, I probably didn't mention this on the last show. I should have gone back and checked. I think I mentioned that I saw one princess, and then I saw another princess, so two princesses in one week of a conference, way more than I usually see at work. So very exciting, um, but also made me feel (laughs) very American. And why do we have to stand while they leave a room? Anyway, um, but I was trying to coordinate, you know, all the interesting people that I met in Lisbon, and it would be difficult, if not impossible, to try to fit them all into one episode. Um, And I think that it's it's good in future episodes if we keep bringing up the Ocean Conference because it will help us 
continue to think about it as a driving force moving forward and the lessons that we learned there and the connections that we made continue to make an impact. And that's what conferences want to do, right? They want people to be thinking about them a few months later. So hopefully we'll be able to weave UNOC into some of the other future podcast episodes that we do, but have it not be, you know, the main focus. But for that reason, I decided to focus and combine this recap episode with a trend. Uh, And I don't know if it could be called a trend because I've only done it once, but now I've done it twice. So I think that officially counts as a trend of having the current Ocean Decade Canals Marine Policy Fellow on the podcast. Uh, So for those of you who remember, I originated the Ocean Decade Canals role in 2020, um, which was the start of my (laughs) long and can't believe it's still going on journey with the Ocean Decade. Uh, And so last year I featured Teresa Keith, who was my direct successor. Uh, on the show to learn about, you know, how the role had changed when she came in it and what the U.S. was doing uh, for the Ocean Decade. And then this year, I'm even happier that there's another Ocean Decade fellow who's taken over from Teresa. So my canal's grandchild, I guess, that's a kind of weird way to say it, but there's lineages and things, you know, it's like Greek life, um, only geekier and with more ocean. In it. <laughs> and so I'm so glad to have Caitlin Lang, the current Ocean Decade Canals Marine Policy Fellow, on the show today. Before starting the fellowship, Caitlin was in the Midwest of the United States for undergrad and grad school, focusing on fisheries management issues. And now she's coordinating U.S. engagement for this international initiative to transform the ocean. So really excited to talk to her and hear from her about her path, her experience at UNOC. So Caitlin and I had met virtually um, at the beginning of her fellowship earlier this year. Um, And then she was in Portugal and it was fantastic to get to meet her in person. Because while I talked to Teresa last year, (laughs) a lot of times throughout her fellowship, I never got to meet her in person. Uh, So it was fantastic to get to meet Caitlin and talk to her and invite her on this show. And so have her talk about her experience at UNOC and what's next for her and uh, the U.S. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be here. This is the first podcast that I've ever been on. So there's always a first for something. There's always a first. And (laughs) I can't wait to tell my parents about this. And they're going to ask, what's a podcast? (laughs) Mom, it's cool. (laughs) When I was originally scoping out episodes of this podcast, one of the like, I I was trying to talk to my parents about it, which I think anyone who's in the marine sciences and who listens to this podcast or is in other podcast worlds knows that if you're in the marine sciences, your parents usually have no idea what you do (laughs) and like you cannot describe it to them in any way. So true. (laughs) Um, And so my dad, I remember originally was like, well, you should just do an episode with me where I just ask really stupid questions about what the ocean decade is. (laughs) It's like, it's still on my long list. Like if I can't find a person for a month, then I should just have dad on to ask me a bunch of weird questions. But <laughs> yeah, I love that. My my dad came to my thesis defense and he asked a question and I was really proud of him. <laughs> my dad did too. Oh, that's so it must be just a dad <laughs> thing. He did that during my dad during, did that during my thesis defense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Decade dads. I love it. Decade dads. Oh my gosh, we need pins and we'll send one to Teresa too. Oh, but this is so, I'm glad that you'll be uh, experiencing your first podcast uh, here with us and get to talk about the great work that you're doing this year and talk about UNOC. Uh, So first, uh, I gave you a little bit of an introduction, but please tell us uh, who you are and what has been your path to the Ocean Decade. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, I think you did a really great introduction. Um, but, you know, my name is Caitlin Lang, and I'm a, I'm a 2022 Knauss Fellow, your grandchild in the family tree of the ocean decade. Um, I'm placed within NOAA, um, so the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and my portfolio largely focuses on um, communications, outreach, stakeholder engagement, all things ocean decade. Um, and then as far as my path to the decade, I think I will have to take that all the way back to before grad school. Um, so I, I got my start, I'm a Great Lakes fisheries biologist by training, and I really got my start on a grass carp project in the Great Lakes. Um, so for those of you who don't know, grass carp are a, a large herbivorous invasive species in the Great Lakes. Um, and so every summer um, we would have crews from all over the Great Lakes kind of descend on one small town in Ohio where these grass carp were known to spawn. Um, and this was kind of a patchwork of you know, state and provincial and federal natural resource agencies from across I don't know, eight states and two countries. Um, and so we, we would all come together to try and catch as many grass carp as possible. Um, they're kind of elusive fish, they're hard to catch, um, but it was, it was really fun getting all of those agencies together. Um, and that kind of introduced me to, to collaborative science. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple years, I go through grad school and continue in that sphere of, um, you know, really collaborative science in the Great Lakes, which are, you know, multi-jurisdictional. Um, so people are always collaborating. Um, one of my big takeaways is that grass carp, you know, they don't know any borders. <laughs> um, they're just fish and they swim wherever. So it, it makes sense to bring everyone together to try and solve this crisis because they're, um, kind of, they're a big problem in one area because they're herbivorous. Um, so they, fill a niche that is previously unfilled in the Great Lakes. They um, eat 100% of their body weight a day. They get very large. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're very big. Wow. I have a point to the story. <laughs> I promise. Okay. No, but that's a. But one of the things you made while I interrupt your story, because it's my podcast, so I kind of get to do that sometime, was I had the exact same sentiment in my I say a very similar thing about my fisheries background and about kind of natural resource management in general is you don't manage the fish. The fish are going to do what they're going to do. You have to manage the people, um, which was how I convinced everyone that my social science training was valuable if they didn't understand why it was valuable. It's like the fish are going to go where they're going to go. They're going to eat what they're going to eat. We have to manage the, the humans behind a lot of this in fisheries. But okay, go back to these giant uh, carp. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, they can, they can cause a lot of problems. Um, so they can get into our already degraded imperiled wetlands on Lake Erie um, and really wreck the habitat, displace native fish, cause erosion, which can impact, you know, the local economy that depends on these uh, fish to, to catch and to eat for tourism purposes, etc. So, you know, we would have everybody on the Great Lakes that had a stake in this, you know, there were stakeholders come down uh, and try and catch grass carp, try and catch as many as possible and actually physically work together, you know, hand in hand to try and catch these fish. Um, so that was, you know, my entryway into collaborative science and, and working with different types of stakeholders. 
Um, so when I got the Knauss Fellowship, um, I wanted to continue in that sphere of, you know, working with different types of people to accomplish science or to accomplish something. Um, so that's really what I was looking for. That was what I was really drawn to the ocean decade for. Um, I liked it. it. It sounded weird, impossible, awesome. <laughs> so I was like, those are the ex- almost the exact words that I wrote down during my placement week. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what really drew me to it. And you know, I just I felt like with any position in the Knauss Fellowship you know, you were going to get really good experience, but it just depended on what kind of experience you wanted. And I wanted to continue in that realm of, you know, working with stakeholders, maybe at a higher level, maybe thinking about what is the policy to better catalyze these partnerships? um, And and what can we do as the government to make sure that, um, you know, what what are the conditions to make these partnerships favorable? And and how can we, um, you know, fuel that? So um, that, that was really my path to the ocean decade is just being interested. You know, it's something that it was, I'd never heard of. I mean, especially coming from the Great Lakes is I don't have a whole lot of, you know, marine experience. Um, so I, I just, I liked the idea of this, this high level position where you're working with a bunch of different people to sustainably manage the entire ocean. I mean, like what's, what's bigger than that? <laughs> exactly. And I never, I didn't think about it until now, but kind of the Great Lakes is really the perfect breeding ground for you to get interested in collaborative work because it's not just multi-state, it's, you know, multi-country of US and Canada in there. Whereas I thought Chesapeake Bay, where I did my work was good proving ground because we had to figure out stuff between Maryland and Virginia and sometimes Pennsylvania when they decided to try to care and Delaware and, <laughs> but that's a whole different ball game when you have, you know, international people caring about these giant lakes that <laughs> are in the middle of the countries. Yeah. But I think, I, I think that just brings a really important perspective because they're, they're microcosms of their own yeah. culture. Everybody's got their own beliefs and, you know, it's just like Chesapeake Bay. That's a, it's a microcosm. So when we're thinking about scaling that up to, you know, the ocean, I mean, where do you even start? <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's why I was just, I was so drawn to it. Cause I was like, wow, I want to know more about that. I want to dig into that. And dug in, you have, I think already over the, what is it? So it's almost end of July and you started in February. So you've had, you know, a good chunk of time to, to get into this. Um, but I want to go back and explain, I know we've explained this on the past in the show, but what is the Canals Fellowship and what drew you to it? Because I always love any opportunity to uh, let more people know about what this fellowship is and who's eligible to apply and what it can do for you and your career as an early career person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the plug. Um, so the Canals Fellowship is a one-year fellowship that places um, highly qualified, but sometimes underrepresented graduate students um, into these high-level policy positions within the U.S. government. So you can either work for um, the executive branch, you know, placed within a federal agency, or the legislative branch, you know, placed within um, a congressional committee, or um, you know, staffing a member of Congress. Um, and so, what what drew me to the Canals Fellowship? <laughs> I, huh. I applied for it on a whim. I, I really didn't think I would get it. <laughs> That's like 99% of people that I've heard. Like, 
I'm one of the weirdos who knew about it at the very start of graduate school because my advisor was head of Virginia Sea Grant, which is Sea Grant is who does the fellowship program. But most people I know, they're like, oh, yeah, I just tried it and it worked out very well. <laughs> so you're not alone there. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I couldn't believe that I got it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think I had a chance. But, um, you know, really, why I applied to it is because I wanted a permanent, stable job after grad school. Don't we all? Don't doesn't everyone in academia? Like, oh, yes, yes, we we all want that. <laughs> but I just I have so many, you know, intelligent, competent, hardworking people that I know. You know, peers, colleagues, friends. Um, that still don't have permanent jobs, you know, even after they've gone to grad school. And that worries me. Uh, you know, it did worry me. And I just, I felt like the Knauss was my ticket to something bigger than just temporary jobs, you know, moving across the country. I was so sick of that um, by the time that I went to grad school. And so I, I just wanted stability. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was kind of a, you know, a somewhat selfish thing on my part not selfish well oh, you know not selfish self-preserving so <laughs> yeah because um, the academic culture we could do a whole gosh so uh, the, the last episode we talked about you know what needs to change in terms of how we think about the decade and who's invited to the table and so i think we could do a whole episode on like okay let's think about who's in the sciences and how they get there and what do they have to do to uproot their lives every like year and a half, two years and follow the funding. And oh, God forbid, if you and your partner are in the sciences and you get positions in different places, like the the whole academic system, anyone who is on Twitter should follow academic Twitter because you see the good, the bad and the ugly and can understand fully. Like if you're interested in going into a graduate degree in the sciences, be prepared for <laughs> any and all of these eventualities. Yeah. I always like to say that there's, there's no shortage of like, you know, talented, qualified young people who are looking to make a difference, but it's just lack of funding. Like, I, I just, I think that's the thing that we need to invest in the most, you know? So <laughs> when we're thinking about, you know, over the course of the decade, um, I just feel like we need to have these massive investments in our young people, our, our early career professionals, and to actually give them work <laughs> that is, you know, stable, if that's possible. It's not a huge ask, but it's so important. But yeah, and the, and the fellowship provides that for a year. Um, and a lot of people during my Knauss year, so in 2020, there was, uh, we got a direct hire authority. So if you serve in a Knauss position, you can then more easily get hired into the US federal government, which is another extra big plug for Knauss is that, you know, it gets you easier on that fast track to the federal government if you want to if you want to work there um and anyone from uh who's getting a graduate degree in the US or US territories can apply um you don't have to be a US citizen um it is US limited there are i know that there are different countries that are looking to try to replicate you know, sea grant programs and maybe canals programs, but it is, I'd love to know. And if anyone's listening to this and knows of any other programs like canals around the world, let me know and I'll help feature them. But, uh, it's a great opportunity for anyone interested in this and applications for the next, uh, set of 
Bellows won't open until um, the fall, but uh, the fall of 2022, but be on the lookout. <laughs> I just, I, I think McNaus is such a great opportunity, not just for the work experience, but just the connections that you make as a Knaus fellow. I'm just blown away by all of my peers in my cohort and their network of, of mentors and peers. And it's, there's just so many connections that branch out from this that I really think that this is one of the best things that I could have done for myself is, is to just apply on a whim and actually, you know, take it and take the plunge. Cause I was, well, we, you know, the Knaus is a temporary job. It's another, you know, one year, uh, it's a fellowship program. Um, but I just felt like it was something I needed to do and I, I really wanted to do it. And I'm so glad that I did. That's so awesome. Um, the, yeah, anyone who's interested in Knaus, uh, you can reach out to me or Caitlin or any of the other Knaus Mafia, as we're called. Um, and we're happy to answer any questions as people start thinking about it and prepping applications for the fall. Um, but what has your fellowship been like so far? So, cause you know, I was in 2020 and so I was in person and then virtual forever. So do you go into the office and what is your, is there a typical day? I remember there was not a typical day for me, but, um, what, what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's a great question. So I was, uh, I was remote for maybe the first four or five months into my fellowship. Uh, but I, I wanted it to be remote, um, because I was finishing up my, my graduate degree, um, writing my thesis, defending it, starting the manuscript, you know, tying Just up those any, small things. Yeah. <laughs> any loose ends before I, I really took the plunge of moving to DC. Um, at, at that point, I think uh, there was a lot of hope that the office would reopen. And I think it was open when I first started, but nobody was going back into it. Um, and then I think in late April, um, the US government issued an, a return to work notice for all federal employees. And so I'm not... Oh, technically a federal employee, but, you know, with the Knauss Fellowship, you, you kind of do what everybody else is doing. Um, so we were required to come back into the office. Um, and since then, COVID levels have kind of been fluctuating and we've been going from a, a low COVID status to, to medium status. So there's uh, a very liberal situational telework policies extended. Um, but I, so I moved to DC, um, oh, probably about six weeks ago now. And I'm, I'm getting back into the routine of going to the office. And I actually, I actually really like it. <laughs> so I've, I've been remote, working remotely. I was a pandemic grad student and uh, we had virtual classes. I worked from home, you know, all the things that I felt like I really missed out on that like quintessential graduate student experience, which I think is why I just, why I love the Knaus right now. I just feel like that was something that I needed at that stage in my life is just to be around a network of peers. And I, I didn't exactly have that in grad school. So now that I'm, I'm in DC and we are kind of, you know, opening back up, we we're having, you know, in-person meetings occasionally, it's kind of like, you know, things, the ball's starting to get rolling to kind of move to a more in-person format. But I don't think, I don't know if we'll ever be fully back in person. I don't know. And with the ocean decade, it's hard like that, you know, my work with Aspen is very international and the ocean decade work is very international. So even if you could go into an office, 
you know, <laughs> you're talking to people in Paris, you're talking to people in Rome, you're talking to people in Tokyo, like all over. Yeah, I agree. I just, I feel like virtual meetings are so easy, but in-person meetings are so much more rewarding. So it's really just a trade-off, you know, which one do you want? <laughs> and hybrid meetings are terrible and we should never do them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great transition into the UN Ocean Conference. So I remember when I was a fellow, was when the what the UN Ocean Conference was supposed to happen in 2020. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm definitely going to attend this. I'm an important person and then was quickly shot down by <laughs> our common mentor, Liz, who said, well, there's going to be a US delegation and you got to go. And so I was, I had given up hope of being able to go to the UN Ocean Conference. So it's hilarious that I got to go a few years later. Um, but you got to go this year as the Ocean Decade Canals Fellow. I did. I, I scammed my way into it. <laughs> Uh, scam as in offered your great services to the ocean decade coordinating team at that's correct uh, the ioc the intergovernmental oceanographic commission um so tell me a little bit about that uh they were so gracious i i reached out to them on a whim as wondering if if they in exchange for maybe me helping to to coordinate some event or events that they're helping to put on or you know whatever in-person help on the ground that they needed um, if I could travel with their delegation and get accredited with them and they accepted. So um, maybe this is another plug for Knaus is you get a professional development budget um, that you can use however you want um, throughout the year uh, of your fellowship. And um, I used it to go to Portugal. So it, it paid for my flight and accommodations and my food, and I, I didn't have to worry about it. And so from um, the decade coordination unit um, perspective, you know, they got, um, you know, free labor, which was fantastic. Yeah, they got free so <laughs> it, it, it was a win-win situation for, for everyone involved. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, um, you know, they, they got back with me and, and accepted. So I thought, I thought that was really nice. I was a part of their staff meetings for, oh, I don't know, maybe two months leading up to Lisbon. Um, and so we were helping to plan and coordinate and execute um, all of the myriad of Ocean Decade related side events that happened in Lisbon. How many side events were there? Because I was involved with just a couple, but there was so many more, probably. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't have an exact count on how many side events there were, but I know there had to have been at least a dozen, if not more. Maybe 12 to 15 is my ballpark guess of decade-related side events. And that's a lot over just one week, you know? A absolutely. That's like three or four a day. Um so, you know, it was very prominently featured. I think everybody wanted to talk about the decade at this UN Ocean Conference. And, and rightfully so. I mean, that, that seemed right up the alley of, you know, the UN Ocean Conference. Yeah, definitely. Um, because originally this conference was going to happen, you know, right before the launch of the Ocean Decade. And so now uh, the script uh, flipped a little bit, you know, and we're talking about, okay, what's happened in the 18 months since the decade was declared and getting to celebrate partnerships and announce new ones. And um, what I, I, you probably had so many memories while there, but do you have like one or two that you'd love to highlight and relive? 
yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so I, I was most involved in helping to put on um, the Decade Forum. So it was this um, huge side event. It, it had a capacity for about 300 people in its audience. So it was, it was probably one of the larger side events that was happening that week. Um, and it was this, this highly choreographed event with, we had maybe 35 speaking roles, three or four moderators, six short videos, and just an extremely tight timeline just to pack that all in. And so th the goal of this side event was just really to celebrate the progress of the ocean decade um, in you know, the two years that it's been implemented and to kind of celebrate the community around the ocean decade and, and the people that are really um, you know, participating in it. So um, yeah, I would say that's certainly the most rewarding um, event. I, I'm so glad that it went smoothly and um, Taylor, go ahead and plug yourself because you were one of the moderators and kudos to you for doing that. <laughs> Yeah, it went smoothly. We were just a little bit over time, which for an in-person event is not bad. Um, the recording is of that Ocean Decade Forum, which, yeah, like Caitlin said, it was really a celebration of the Ocean Decade. And we got to feature some really interesting people from all around the world and uh, really show the different varieties of what the decade is and can be. Because I think events like that are really helpful for one, not only celebrating what has happened, but two, introducing the decade to new people because it shows the real breadth of what the decade is trying to do and what it can be. Um, so I, I, yeah, I was like, I got to moderate one of the, one of the sessions. Um, I hadn't moderated in person in a long time. I'm used to sitting <laughs> behind a computer screen with my microphone talking to people. Um, but it was really fun. And I was glad that I got to be, a part of that. Uh, and yeah, anytime I get to work with the ocean decade people at the IOC is a, is a good day. And you were such a, a help to them. And I thought I, it's such a cool experience to get during your fellowship and just early in your career too, to see like, what does it take to run an international meeting? It's a pain in the butt. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot, <laughs> but it's so rewarding at the end, you know? And you did such a wonderful job moderating. I just want to take the time. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I think Thank you're such you. a good moderator that. and host and speaker. And I, I want to be half a good a speaker as you are. Well, you're on a podcast now. You can put this on your resume as an example of, look, I can speak like a human uh, for at least 45 minutes to an hour. So... <laughs> So what was your biggest, in addition to like kind of these core memories, what was one of your biggest takeaways from the conference? Um, what, what surprised you or what, you know, really did it enliven your, your love of the decade? Yeah. So, so I will say that I've never been to anything like this before, a, a big United Nations policy conference. I've, I've been to many scientific conferences where, you know, everybody has a talk, you present for 10 minutes, people ask questions for five minutes and then it's on to the next person. Um, and that was really the only experience I've, I've ever had with a, a big conference like that. And, and keep in mind, I'm also a pandemic grad student. So a lot of these things were virtual, you know, when I was going through and trying to give presentations on my thesis. Um, so I would say a lot of things surprised me about it. You know, I had, I had no idea what any of that might look like. You know, there were so many people there. There were 
presidents and, and heads of state and, and princesses. You can't forget the princesses. <laughs> I know. It, I just, I was so astounded and, and blown away. Um, and, and I think it's, it's easy to get lost in, um, you know, maybe we can call that it's easy to get lost in the glamour uh, of a big, you know, United yeah, Nations fair. conference with, you know, there was movie stars and, and celebrities there and champagne and, and you know, uh, cocktail hours. And I, I just thought everything was, I think it's easy to to look at that from the outside and say they are doing silly, frivolous things. Um, but, I, you know, my big takeaway from that concert or conference is that um, there was real substantial things that came out of it. You know, there was a number of it had style, style and substance. Yes. You know, it had both. Yes, and I think I think that's the part that I'm most impressed with because you know, coming into this, I I kind of thought uh, I was a little skeptical about these United Nations conferences. You know, what did they actually do there? What are the outcomes? Uh, you know, I just I didn't know any of that because I'm not super immersed in, you know, international policy realm. Um, but, you know, I, I think the most surprising part is that, you know, there was a number of outcomes that came from the conference and, and I won't list them, but, um, you know, a lot of high level resolutions. Um, and I think those kind of represent more than just words because, you know, they can trickle down to that on the ground action, um, you know, through, through, policy, uh, funding opportunities, partnerships, grants. I mean, th this is the way um, that all of that policy gets shaped, you know, regionally. Um, and that, that kind of gave me context for like, you know, going back to like my start as a fisheries biologist in the Great Lakes, you know, managing grass carp, you know, that, that came from a high level policy perspective, you know, thou shall go out and catch grass carp because it, it bad for the economy and the environment. Um, so I think that was my big takeaway is that, you know, it, these resolutions were felt more than just words. Uh, and so it was cool to kind of see that process unfold um, and then to actually read the resolutions coming out of that conference. So I, I think that did cure, you know, my, my skeptical nature of these conferences. Yeah, I think it's so easy to be skeptical from afar, you know, and there were protests outside of the conference of people, you know, saying it's not going quick enough, they'll be the same in COP this year, like there was in last year's COP and the year before. And, and we, we need all those sides. But going to all these big conferences, it always reminds me, I, I almost get a sense of relief of like, oh, thank God, someone's working on this, or like someone's working on this. And it's just it reminds me of the thoughtful brilliant people around the world who really are working to help bring the ocean to the forefront of issues. Um, and it also got me out of, I've gotten into a bit of an ocean climate bubble with my, my work at Aspen. And so, you know, remembering that conservation needs to be a part of the equation and all these different biodiversity and all these different facets. Um, I always leave feeling exhausted and, and really relieved of like, Oh good. Someone else is focusing on this. That's fantastic. And then always the question of, well, like, how can I help? Like, is there any other way that I can do stuff? And so that's one of the things about the podcast, too, is like, ooh, who else can I feature? Who else can I tell their story? And who, what other conversation can I bring to the Ocean Decade? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I, there were so many different 
types of people that I met there that I would I would have never had an opportunity to meet, you know, had I stayed in the Great Lakes. I mean, there was, uh, you know, when you ask people about their jobs, I mean, these are jobs that I've never heard of or never considered, but I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God somebody's thinking about these things. So I, I agree. I, I felt like that did give me hope. And it was it was so great to like meet all of the different types of people that are working on these issues. And so you obviously, you know, went to Portugal and have come back and have had a few weeks. So what are you looking forward to next? Like, what are the next steps from, you know, maybe the IOC perspective and then in the U.S.? Like, I, I, we haven't really focused a ton on the U.S. perspective because we covered that a little bit last year with Teresa. And I really wanted to, you know, let you let us both, I think, relive our, our Portugal, <laughs> our lovely Portugal trip as well. But, you know, what's next? Um, a number of things. <laughs> there's there's always something going on in the decade. Never a dull, um, but, uh, never maybe, a dull time during this decade. Yeah, totally. And it's it's a sprint and a marathon. <laughs> so um, that's not it, the way we train, though. For either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's you got to take breaks. Yeah. Um, so I I will say that I'm looking forward to communicating the decade in the US to different types of audiences, because I still think that not many people know about the decade in the US and they should. And we need those people to, to come to come in and to participate and to get involved. So, I, you know, I'm hopefully going to a number of conferences and, and starting to give talks to maybe some of the communities that we haven't really reached out to yet. Um, on, you know, what is the ocean decade and, you know, what are the gaps in the ocean decade and how can you help fill the, those gaps? And, and also here's how to get involved. So I'm looking forward to that. We have a number of conferences and, and other events lined up that is hopefully reaching different types of audiences um, just to try and communicate this more broadly. Um, we're also going to be working on um, in editorial and hopefully shopping this around to, to major news outlets. Ooh, I like uh, it. Yes, yes. It, you know, I, I find it very surprising that major new media news outlets have not covered the decade. You know, when I first... That was a struggle during my time too. It was like, because you get so enthralled and into it. It's like, wait, why isn't anyone covering this? And we got in some magazines. My husband just the other day tried to throw away... We wrote an article at the very end of my fellowship uh, that's in the Coast Guard Proceedings magazine. Oh, yeah, I read that one. <laughs> and so he, he tried to throw that away. And I was like, no, wait, I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, you got to frame it. You got to put it in the decade scrapbook. Um, that's what I need. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I, I first started my fellowship, I was really disappointed that I couldn't find anything about the decade. I thought it would be very easily be you know, Googleable that, you know, NPR would have covered it or like somebody like some major news outlet would have covered something, but that wasn't true. So we're going to try and maybe workshop something, send it around to some people and see if there's any way we could make it into some major newspaper. So, you know, stay tuned for that. I'm actually really excited about that part. Um, it's just getting words to the page and sending it around because I am, I imagine we will have many, many co-authors on this. Um, what else am I looking forward to? Uh, there's a lot of really interesting conversations about, you know, how to resource these decade actions in the U.S. 
That's key. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, I helped put together a document back in the spring that we're calling the DARNA. This is the Decade Action Resource Needs Analysis. Um, and it's just Ooh, good. We have an acronym of the episode. Oh, we haven't had one in a bit. And there it is. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's good. At least you're not going to call this like decade dads or something. No. Oh, gosh. Oh, that would be. But now I'm going to have to send this episode to my dad and have him listen through and you can send it to your dad and they'll be so proud of us. I know. I know. Okay. Um, so, okay, Darna. Uh, so we're, we're trying to kind of wrap our heads around the status of, of all of the decade actions um, that are happening in the U.S. or at least U.S. partnered. Um, so I kind of put together this survey, you know, talking about or asking about uh, financial partnership communication needs. And so I asked, you know, what their, their current level of funding is, you know, what do they need for long or for immediate uh, short term funding, what they need for longer term kind of idealistic funding to kind of meet their goals. Um, and then also a key question is, without any new sources of funding, you know, will, do you think this action will be successful? And so, you know, from that survey, we were able to do kind of like a high level takeaway of all of these actions. And so most of the actions in the US have some level of funding, but of those with funding, they said that uh, most said that they will be unsuccessful without new, new sources of funding. That's so important to know. And because like uh, some other countries have designated specific funding streams to Ocean Decade things. I don't know. That's that seems like a more difficult thing to do in the U.S. context. But uh, I remember having conversations with foundations and things. And how can we, you know, make it an earmark in a foundation that it says, oh, if you're a decade action, then you have a better chance of getting this grant or something like that. That's that's huge for bringing these forward and understanding uh, really directly because we always will say like, oh, well, science can't have it without funding. But it's like, here's a list of projects that will not continue <laughs> without money. Yeah. And so we were even asking, you know, like, how much money do you need, you know, just to get you off the ground? And most of the actions don't really need a whole lot, relatively speaking. So, you know, I, I think of this as kind of low hanging fruit that, you know, might be ripe for a large return on investment, you know, with just a small amount of funding. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward just to hearing more about how how we're going to resource all of these actions um, and what, what the fate of these actions will be. Because um, some of these haven't even started work yet. They're still trying to figure out funding. And each year, you know, the clock is ticking on and we've got a decade to, to try and, you know, accomplish as much as possible. So um, I don't know, certainly, certainly exciting times um, with the decade, never, never a dull moment. Yeah. And you and I talked about this in, in Portugal that, you know, I got to be there and like wave maracas and be all flashy of like, look at this new thing. And then it's always hard for the ones, you know, to come after. And I, and we knew this with the decade, you know, it's 10 years. And so how do you keep up attention, momentum, funding, you know, that's the, the endurance is the hard part. Like you said, it's a marathon and a sprint and there's, it's, it's hard to do both of those at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll need to figure out 
you know, we can have like a decade revitalization party in a few years when we're like, okay, let's re-kick off and see what's happened and keep going. And because, <laughs> you know, things aren't meant to, we're humans with short attention spans and getting shorter with <laughs> how the world is. And so uh, we need to keep it fun and keep it fresh. Uh, and so it, you, you have a few more months, you know, left on your fellowship to keep working on this, but do you want to keep involved with the Ocean Decade afterward, or do you have any idea of what you want to do after Knaus? I remember last year when I interviewed Teresa, it was a little bit further on in her fellowship, so she was getting a little bit more stressed about, oh God, finding a job afterwards. So you still have a little bit of time, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm still stressed about finding a job. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay on the federal government if there's, you know, opportunities available. I feel like I would still like to be continued or to continue on in the ocean decade sphere because I've made some really good relationships over the past six months. And I'd like to continue with those relationships, you know, in whatever capacity, um, you know, I can to kind of take the decade with me and, and, you know, decade, decadize my next job, if that's possible. That's literally what I have done. And I was having conversations in Portugal, you know, with how can the Aspen Institute as our big, beautiful thing, can we be helpful in any way? And, you know, and thinking about who wants to be on the podcast and all sorts of stuff. So it's definitely possible. It takes a little bit more work and a little bit more moxie, but you have it. So (laughs) I I did this last year too with Teresa. So anyone who wants to hire Caitlin, you totally should reach out to her, me, give her all of your jobs because she is so intensely qualified and has done such a great job with, with this fellowship thus far and will continue to do a great job uh, as the rest of her year goes on. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> we'll stay tuned and we'll, we'll uh, keep updated and yeah, people just, just hire her. It, you know, it's the best decision you'll have made that day, that week, who knows? Um, so going back a little bit and thinking about, the decade overall. And I know you can't see me, but I'm Italian and I talk with my hands. And so I'm doing a lot of very expressive things here today. I don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) So speaking about the ocean decade overall, you know, you're intimately involved with so many pieces, but you're also looking at it from a, like a 40,000 foot level to you, what would be a quote unquote successful decade? You know, by the time we reach 2030 and you're looking back, what will have happened uh, for you personally to have said, wow, this was worth it. And I'm glad that I did my fellowship during it. And I'm glad that I've dedicated time and energy of my professional career to this. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good question. And I always try to ask myself, you know, what, what, what I want to see the outcome of this whenever I take on something new in my life is what, what are the objectives and what is success to me? And, and for the decade, I, I think it's just, action, <laughs> action on the ground, you know, like having these, these massive investments in ocean science and technology and diverse blue workforce. I mean, I'm just, I think there is no shortage of good ideas or good people who want to do the work. It is only a shortage of, of funding and money. So, you know, success to me looks like um, getting getting funding in the hands of people who who need it and want to do the work um, and then being able to to see them do the work because uh, that's what the decade is about it's not just about you know talk it's not just about science for science sake you know it's it's about 
action, you know, really transformable, transformational science. Um, and, and I still believe in that. And I, I still hold on to that, you know, whatever that may be. So when I'm thinking about, you know, an ideal decade, you know, that's what I'm thinking of. And, and maybe more recognition for the ocean decade in, in general. You know, having having people know what it is, like they know what COP is. Yeah, that broad awareness. You know, the ocean is the least funded of all spaces. It's the least talked about. That's why having a UN ocean conference was a big deal because, you know, UN conferences are heavily terrestrial-based. Climate conferences are heavily terrestrial-based, you know, historically. And so having that, this platform and this ability for, you know, we had uh, big people in the UN come and speak. We had big, you know, big names to help push this along and push it further. But there's so much more in terms of awareness of the ocean and funding for the ocean uh, and calms around the ocean versus like, oh, look, it's the pretty ocean, <laughs> you know, that yeah. that we could have as a society. Our ocean literacy, I think, is a is a huge piece of the decade that needs to continue to push forward. Yeah, I agree. Oh, well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining today. And, you know, I, it made me both happy and sad to recap UNOSHA conference, you know, happy that it happened and sad that it's over. Um, but it was so great to, you know, get your take on it, get your perspective as a current fellow and, you know, how this continues to build and grow. And I uh, can't wait to, you know, follow your career and see where you go. And can't wait to hopefully interview my great grandchild (laughs) i just like to make it make things weird but um so where can the audience go to learn more about u.s uh, efforts for the ocean decade and and about you oh and about me okay so well maybe we'll and about you (laughs) maybe we'll start with um where to find out more about the ocean decade in the u.s so you can go to research.noaa.gov slash un decade um, to see NOAA's page on the Ocean Decade, um, or you can also go to the nationalacademies.org and search Ocean Decade US to see what our US National Committee is up to. Um, and for me, I'm on Twitter. Come find me, Caitlin Lang. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so, so come say hi. And I love meeting new people. So um, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, th- this was... Um, my favorite podcast I've ever been on. Favorite and least favorite, you know, because <laughs> it's the only one. So we'll we'll do the balance. It's this has been very fun. A little less fun than sitting and drinking wine with you in Lisbon, but like a close yeah. second. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Caitlin. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next month. <laughs>